Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. Operating out of the mission, today we are live at West of Picos for the Culture Collide San Francisco Festival and Creative Summit. You're listening to Always with Archie Marry Me.
Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. We are broadcasting live from Culture Collide San Francisco here in the Mission. And uh, we're at West Apicos right now for the Creative Summit. Yeah, the crowd is getting ready for some, some uh, rowdy, rowdy sessions here. Uh, you're going to be listening to BFF.FM playing some of our favorite tunes from, uh, from noon to one. And then right around one o'clock, the keynote is going to start. It's just a welcome to the Culture Collide Festival uh, and an introduction to some of the artists, the countries, and beyond that are going to be part of this festival. If you don't know what the Culture Collide Festival is by now, uh, you got to get your tickets because I think tickets are running around $20.00. And that's for two nights of shows and uh, the Creative Summit as well, which is happening at West of Pico's uh, all day today and all day tomorrow. Um, so that means you get to see bands like the Cloud Nothings or Clap Your Hands Say Yeah uh, for the all special price of 20 bucks. You get a you get a bracelet basically, and you can go around to the Chapel Amnesia. And um, a couple other studios, uh, the Elbow Room, uh, Hipstamatic is having some, some people play as well. And there's just going to be some great uh, music and great discussion around music happening here in the Mission. You really, really want to get here and be a part of that. Um, some of the tunes that you've been listening to so far already, we listened to S and the song Vampires. Um, S is actually the side project of, I can't remember her name right now, but she was in Carissa's Weird. Before that, we heard Wampire with Bad Attitude, Foxygen with How Can You Really, and we kicked everything off with Always and Archie Marry Me, another lovely little tune. We're actually jamming out to Ladio Balaco as I, as I talk here, great noise band from, uh, New York City. Uh, well, we're going to keep the jams going here. Hope to see you down here at Culture Collide. Like I said, if you don't have your tickets now, if you got nothing going on today, come down, be a part of the conversation, be a part of the Creative Summit. Uh, it looks like they've got snacks out on the tables from some of our sponsors, and uh, some beers are hiding around here as well. So uh, come on down, be a part of the fun. It's going to be great. The keynote starts at 1, and we'll be taking little musical breaks in between then, bringing you the entire Creative Summit live via BFF.FM. So uh, get here. Have a good time. Uh, this next song you're going to be listening to is by Os Mutiants, and it's called Stadiums, only on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. By the way, I'm the Crack Machine. Hope you're enjoying this. See ya.
Listening to BFF.FM, best frequencies forever. We are broadcasting live from the mission at the Culture Collide San Francisco Festival. Right now, we're at the Creative Summit, which is warming up here at West of Picos. We've got a great schedule coming up. First, at one o'clock, we've got a keynote from the festival starters. Uh, the creators um, and after that at two o'clock we're actually there's going to be a music and technology panel where you will be hearing from such luminaries as Kevin Arnold uh, coming straight from the Wonder Years no actually Kevin Arnold is the owner of noise pop um, bringing us so many great shows over the decades uh, Jeff Roberto of Shazam Garrett Groman of Indiegogo, Doug Scott of Bampage, and Dave Porter from 8-Tracks. And they'll be talking about music and technology at 2 o'clock. In the meantime, we're still going to be playing some rock and roll for you here. What have we been listening to so far? Well, some great stuff and some just recently released stuff. Uh, what Kind of Monster Are You from Slant 6? Uh, came out in 1994 but that just got the reissue remaster treatment from Discord Records and uh, really excited about that I think that comes out today even maybe before that we heard Eyes of the Muse the much awaited follow up album from King Tuff who went down to LA and recorded a bunch of great stuff with Mr. Bobby Harlow uh, another uh, a great Detroit expat before that we heard beast from x hex uh mary timoney's new band and the album rips i think comes out today um so please check that out that's out on merge records and was actually mixed down by mr bobby harlow as well i didn't plan that out before x hex we heard generationals with black lemon that's on poly Polyvinyl Records, some good stuff. And we kicked off that set with Osmutiants and Stadiums. We're going to uh, keep the rock and roll going here with uh, the rentals, and it's time to come home. If you uh, want to give us any advice or come visit us, more importantly, down at Culture Collide, please do. You can interface with myself and Cosmic Amanda. We're here broadcasting live. Um, but you can also hit us up on Twitter at BFFDOTFM. Or you can hit me up, the crack machine, at BNRSSO. And, you know, questions, requests, whatever. Just, you know, you really should be checking out Culture Collide. It's uh, great bands uh, playing at the Elbow Room and the Chapel and Amnesia, and then some great discussions happening at the Creative Summit here at West of Picos. 
So come on down and uh, join us for some fun and some uh, stimulating conversation. So, uh, yeah, do it. Do it while it's still here. Tuesday and Wednesday next tomorrow. So, uh, like I said, this is The Rentals with It's Time to Come Home.
right, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. And we are broadcasting live from west of Picos, here on Valencia Street in the Mission, as a part of Culture Collide San Francisco Festival. We're going to be broadcasting all day from the Creative Summit here at West of Picos, where anybody that bought a uh, wristband can uh, get in on the action and listen to some great conversations, be a part of the conversation, you know, about music and technology, spirits of the world. We're gonna, we're, there's going to be some great conversations with some very, very influential people from the Bay Area music scene. Uh, I, su- I highly suggest getting out here and uh, being a part of it. You wonder what we've been listening to oh, over the last, like, 20 minutes? Well, we've been listening to some bands that are going to be playing here at Culture Collide. Yeah, that's right. Some great quality rock and roll. We heard Taco Cats. Taco Cat with Crimson Wave. Before that, we heard Gremlin, G-R-M-L-N, with Blue Lagoon. Both of those bands are going to be playing uh, as part of the different first studios uh, track at the Elbow Room, and that's tonight, and that's going to be a fun time. And it's all with a $20 wristband that you can see this stuff happen. Before that, we heard some Canadians called Wolf Parade play Fancy Claps. Uh, If they were a band, maybe they would be here, but they're not, so don't worry about it. We still got the great rock and roll happening for you. Before that, we heard Sonny and the Sunsets with Palm Reader off of his excellent Antenna to the Afterworld. And we brought that uh, little session to a begin with It's Time to Come Home from the Rentals. In the background, we're listening to Sun Kill Moon, who was my personal pick for Dick of the Week this week for his amazing song, War on Drugs, Suck My Cock. Uh, it's a fantastic piece of work. We're, uh, we're getting just about to the time for the keynote, spe- uh, keynote speaker here at Culture Collide San Francisco at West of Picos. So we're going to leave you with another band playing tonight. And there's still tickets available for this. You should come out, see some great, great rock and roll from this fantastic Midwestern band from Cleveland, Ohio. As Huey Lewis said, the heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland. And this is Cloud Nothings with I'm Not Part of Me. Once again, you're listening to BFF.FM. Best frequencies forever.
behind they could hardly find their spine Passion to the people were sleeping late into the evening Reach behind they could hardly find their spine Passion to the people were sleeping late into the evening Reach behind they could hardly find their spine
ourselves there you're listening to bff.fm best frequencies forever we are broadcasting live from culture collide san francisco here in the valencia corridor corridor at west of picos we're about to get started here with a little creative summit we're going to hear a keynote speech uh from the organizers telling us you know just what what this all is about but what i can tell you it's all about is a passion for music and technology and art, and it's taking over Valencia Street today, tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday night, and it's going to be a great time. We're going to be hearing from bands like Cloud Nothing, who we just listened to. Everyone is Dirty, who we're going to hear on this broadcast in a little bit. Uh, we have uh, Gremlin, Taco Cat, and a lot of other bands from, from around the world. This is, this is a uh, global conference and musical event happening here in San Francisco and we couldn't be prouder to have it or to have bff.fm as a, a partner for it. So uh yeah, we're looking forward to that. The keynote should be starting any minute now. Um we've been listening to some good music, I would say, cuz I programmed it. But uh we heard Are You the Rinder from Fabonks. And before that, we heard Modern Kicks by The Exploding Hearts. Something Is Not Right With Me by The Cold War Kids. 
And like I said, we heard Cloud Nothings with I'm Not Part of Me off of their fantastic new album. We're going to continue with the rock and roll here. And this is one of my uh, Detroit favorites. And that would be Proto Martyr from Under Color of Official Right. And the song is I Stare at Floors. So enjoy this one. Here you go, BFF.fm at Culture Collide, live. Yeah. 
All right, we are here at West of Picos for the Culture Collide San Francisco Festival. This is part of the Creative Summit happening during the days here at West of Picos in the Valencia Quarter. We're going to be talking about music, passion, technology, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, you're listening to BFF.FM. We're going to be broadcasting this live over the internet uh, today and tomorrow. Hope you're loving it. Uh, just to give you a little, you know, before we switch everything over to the uh, the keynote address, I just want to let you know who you've been listening to. That last band we were listening to was San Francisco local band Hot Lunch with the track She Wants More. Before that, we heard a little old band from Dayton, Ohio called Motel Beds with the song Smoke Your Homework. Traveling further south in the Midwest, we heard White Reaper from Louisville with Conspirator off of their excellent EP on Polyvinyl Records. Before that, we kicked off that set with the Detroit band Proto Martyr and the song I Stare at Floors, which the singer really does do, especially <laughs> live. Um, are you guys ready to uh, pass the mic, as it yeah. were? I think we're ready to go. All right. Well, here we go. Without further ado, this is the inaugural Culture Collide keynote here in San Francisco. Let's give them a big, warm round of applause, everybody. All right. Thanks. Hey, guys. I'm Alan. Thank you all for coming out so early this afternoon. Um, I will keep this very brief, and um, I appreciate everybody coming. And uh, we're very excited to bring this festival to San Francisco. And uh, there's definitely a lot of barriers that it takes to get everyone here who have come all around the world to San Francisco to play and learn about culture and learn about San Francisco. So I just wanted to say that I really appreciate everyone's you know, dedication and showing up and being here and all of our great partners in supporting this effort to actually have this happen. So... Uh, we're excited to kick it off, and uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on tonight, tomorrow, tomorrow night, and then we head down to L.A. to finish up three more days. So um, thanks again. Thanks to our, our friends over at BFF for uh, broadcasting live to the millions of listeners today. So thank you guys for showing up and hanging with us. So, um, yeah. So I will, uh, I'll hand this over and to, to uh, someone who knows quite a bit about music in San Francisco as well, so all you. How's it going, everybody? My name is Starita. Um, I'm a local musician, um, engineer, and producer. I've been here for about 17 years. I've been a lifelong musician. Um, I'm also the president of the Recording Academy San Francisco chapter. We put on a little show called The Grammys. Um, you might have heard of that. So, But yeah, most importantly, I've been a musician since I was a kid, and... Um, Music, this is a perfect platform to talk about this with this festival, Culture Collide. Um, music, it, it's just always attracted me because it tells people stories. That's what music is for every culture. It's our storytelling device, our tool, how we express and connect to other people. Um, what's cool about that is that you know you hear somebody's story and it helps us relate to each other. And when we relate to each other is what happens is it breaks down a lot of concepts that we might have about each other. And we start to realize we're not so different, that we're all on the same playing field. 
we're humans. You know, and it's just a really cool thing that, that, that music does for society and culture in general. And uh, the first time that I realized this, you know, this is nothing new, but I realized this when I was in high school. You know, I grew up in Mississippi, and um, there's a lot of cliques and things there. There's a lot of rednecks that want to kick your ass if you're a long-haired rock and roll dude like I was. So um, I was uh, dating this girl, and they were, they were twins. Uh, and so I was dating this one girl and her twin, one liked the rock and roll dudes, which is me, and the other one liked the preppy jock dudes that want to whoop my ass, right? So I walk into her house one day and I'd just gotten off work at the, at the record store. And uh, I worked at the local record store and we would get all these promos, right, from our distributor to see if we wanted to order a bunch of records and, and carry those. And I had a little promo from a band called Rage Against the Machine. This was their first record, right? And I had a copy of this before it came out. So I walk into the house, and there's that dude sitting there. He knew who I was, and I knew who he was, and I knew he wanted to beat my ass, right? <laughs> so I was like, have you heard of Rage Against the Machine? And he was like, no. So I threw it in, and immediately we related real quick, because anybody that heard that record... We thought we had found God, right? It was like 91. It was like, holy shit, these guys are amazing. <clears throat> so I let him borrow the record, and then the next thing it led to him, me getting him a job at the record store. And all of a sudden, this big burly redneck dude, we were friends, right? And we connected through music. And that's when it really like connected with me, going, wow, this is a really powerful tool. And ultimately, that's what music's about, is connecting. As humans, we have this innate feeling of wanting to connect. We all want to be understood. And uh, whether we admit it or not, we want to tell our story as artists, as people, and we want people to hear that story. And it's funny because music, you know, you hear, oh, it's a universal language and all these things. You hear these cliche things, right? But it's the truth. I mean, just a couple of years ago, um, like, you don't have to know the language that people are speaking to understand what they're trying to convey. So a couple of years ago, um, this band called Los Amigos Invisibles, I don't know if you've heard of them, but uh, they're a pretty well-known national band, and uh, we went to the studio together, and the whole record was in Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish. And we did this whole record together, and we were speaking in the language of big old fucking kick drum and thumping bass. And we communicated just fine, and we made a great record together. And then I get a call about a year later. It says, hey, man, congratulations. The single off the record just got nominated for Song of the Year at the Latin Grammys. And I'm like, Latin Grammys? I don't even speak Spanish. This is awesome. <laughs> and we got everybody, we understand each other through music, and it was awesome. And uh, then I got another call saying, hey, the whole record was nominated for Best Latin for the Grammy Grammys, the real Grammys, the big ones. Not that Latins aren't, but like the American Grammys, that's a big deal. And... Um, so I just started seeing the power of music that I didn't need to, to, to speak in words or anything like that, that we were doing just fine, you know, making great records. And that same year, this year, a, wor a, a record that I did won a Grammy for Best New Age, and there's no words on the entire record. <laughs> so I really just started to, to get um, 
start to realize all these cliches of what music does and how it breaks down these barriers and it creates that human connection and uh, human connection is something I want to talk about uh, you know I go to a lot of these panels um, and we live in the Bay Area of music and tech and tech is amazing I just want to say I love it the tools that are available out there are amazing it can really take you to the next level but I feel like a lot of people come to these um, events looking for that silver bullet, that you know, that golden ticket, that one thing that's going to take my band and blow me up on this national level. And uh, you know, these tools—they're great, but a lot of it comes back to the human connection. So, with all these tools that we have, and we're all able to market all of our records, is what's happened is we have a noise floor. It's coming up. So like in engineering and producing, if we've got a mic with a dirty preamp or a piece of gear, it's making noise. So it's what we need to do is we need to get our signal above that noise floor to be able to hear what's going on. And it's the same thing that's going on right now in the music industry. Everybody's putting out records, and the noise floor has gotten really loud. So what can we do to raise ourselves above this noise floor and actually get our voices heard so we can tell our story? So um, <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think that what it comes down to is alignment. And you're like, what the hell is alignment? What are you talking about? Some more hippie stuff like universal language and all that. But no, it's what I'm talking about is it actually is alignment, aligning with your, yourself as an artist and your goals. So it's actually an internal process where you have to go inside and like really connect with yourself like what what is the story i want to tell what who am the who is the artist that i am embodying that and really living that and then the next thing that comes is honing your skill learning how to play your instrument or learning how to use your tool if you're an engineer or a producer and really really getting Amazing at using these tools and singing and playing your instrument so you can actually express your story. And that is what gets you above the noise floor right there. And then the next thing that you do is you make good sounding records. You really put the time in to make a really beautiful piece of art. So you want your record to sound amazing to where it shows off your talent and tells your story instead of detracting us from what you're actually trying to say because if your records you know a lot of people can't get past that if it doesn't sound good or you're not playing your instrument well or you know you're singing a little off key or you're just using a lot of the tools you know a lot of people can't hear your story so it's what we want is we want to be understood we want people to hear our story and so we want to do and align every single piece to where we can get that story out to everybody. And that is alignment. You're either taking steps towards your goal or you're doing things that take you further away from your goal. So once you align those pieces, then you get out. And then you start making that human connection even more. And when you're firmly rooted in yourself as an artist and you're true to what you're doing, you naturally attract people. Naturally, people hear your story and they want to be a part of it. They want to hear it. Then is when the tech comes in. Tech is amazing. Those tools are amazing. I don't care what anybody says. And you know what? Um, tech is human. 
Tech is human when you use it to strengthen the human connection instead of in place of the human connection. And that is what people miss, is we don't put the tools before the art. You don't want to just do an okay record and say, well, I'll use all these tools to get it out there, do a really good record, and then you add the tools to it, and then you really got something. And then success naturally manifests, and then there comes the question of what is success in the music industry? And this is the thing I've been talking about in the industry for a long time. It's like there is no success in the music industry. There's not. You'll never find it. Success is something that is from, it's a state of mind that comes from being aligned as an artist. We're talking about an industry that never stops, that swallows that Grammy, that swallows the money. You're only as good as the last thing that you did. In fact, you might only be as good as the last note you play. If you're a DJ and you've been rocking the dance floor for two hours and then you do a mix of two shoes in the dryer... What are people going to remember? They're going to remember you screwing up, you know? So this is an industry that never, ever gets past that. Like, when I, when I put out that record and we won a Grammy, you know what? I'm still sitting here hustling for records just like you guys are, trying to get things moving, keep it moving. Nobody remembers that. It's like, what are you doing now? What are you doing tomorrow? Are you more creative? Are you selling more records? Are you doing this? So if you are not grounded yourself as an artist an engineer and producer and you're looking for that validation from everybody else then you're not going to be a happy person so when you are an artist that knows who you are knows your story honed your craft and learned your instrument and your tools and then you make that connection with artists then you use tech on top of that that's that's when you've really got something and that is success you have succeeded if you are staying true to that so, is what I want to tell everybody is that the, I just want to reiterate the human connection here. And Culture Collide is giving you something that you're not getting anywhere else. I mean, how many times do you get to be around all of these people, you know, and, and talk about what they're doing in their country? What are they doing to make ends meet, get their money, out, their, their records out, to make money in this industry? How are they telling their stories? So if you look around here today, in the next two days, you might find that silver bullet that you're looking for. It might be the golden ticket. It might be the person that's sitting next to you who's going to open up a whole new world of possibilities for you. So having said that, culture collide. <laughs> well, thanks. That was awesome. Super inspiring. Um, and uh, we've got a couple more panels coming up next. We have uh, a very informative tech panel with some of the best of San Francisco, and then spirits of the world. So we need everyone's help in trying different spirits from around the world and crowning a, crowning a winner. <laughs> so thanks for coming, everyone. We appreciate it.
facts and fictions,
right. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. We are broadcasting live from the Valencia Corridor at West of Picos for the Culture Collide San Francisco Festival and Creative Summit. We just heard uh, from some of the founding folks uh, about why this is so important during the keynote. And next up, we've got a panel about music and technology featuring such luminaries as Kevin Ardle from Noise Pop, Jeff Roberto from Shazam, Garrett Groman from Indiegogo, Doug Scott from Bampage, and David Porter from 8Tracks. I've also been informed to tell you here in the building that the bar is open, or as Bob Pollard would say, the club is open. So, uh... If you need a, a beer or something like that, you can hit that up. We're going to have the, uh, the panel, music and technology panel, is going to start at uh, 2 p.m. And also, if you're liking what you hear from us here at BFF.FM, we've got stickers, we've got temporary tattoos, so you can show your love for the next two days for us in a semi-permanent manner. We've also got some uh, buttons from uh, the radio station and, some, and several of the shows, so... You know, come on up. We're friendly people here. You can talk to us about anything you want. Uh, music especially would be great. And I have to give a shout-out again to the guy in the Detroit Red Wings jersey in the back. Go Wings. Uh, <laughs> that's just how I do. Once again, we're listening to Ladio Balaco in the background. Ladio's Money is the track. We've been listening to some more great tunes here. We heard Ginger by the Lilies off of A Brief Brief History of Amazing Letdowns. That came out in 1993, the year some people here were born, the year I graduated from high school. Before that, we heard Mess on a Mission by Liars off of that new album on Mute Records called Mess. We heard The Sweat Descends by the mighty Les Saves Favre off of their, their singles collection called Inches. And uh, before that, we heard, well, I had broke, it, I broke out into before that, but we heard She Wants More from San Francisco's fantastic Hot Lunch. Once again, you're listening to BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. We're going to be broadcasting live from the Culture Coll- Collide Summit here in San Francisco all day today, all day tomorrow, bringing you tunes and also the... Uh, very interesting and engaging panels that we've got about music and technology and the issues uh, of, of the day. So keep listening. I'm uh, the host of Cracked Machine. My name is Ben. I'm also here with uh, DJ Cosmic Amanda, mama of BFF.FM. Say hi to everybody, please. Hello. <laughs> all right. Not wanting to, uh, to, to play or <laughs> put all our cards on the table just yet. Um, maybe I'll just give her this Heineken beer and see what happens. <laughs> then she'll become more talkative. Anyways, we're going to continue on with the music here. Uh, and this is Menomina with Lunch Meat. Enjoy. Thank you. 
ladies and gentlemen, just taking a little break from the music to let you know the music and technology panel is going to start in about five minutes. So uh, get your cold, refreshing beverages from the bar, as these smart gentlemen in front of us have, and uh, have a seat and get ready for some uh, very interesting speaks. I'm going to leave you now until then with Auto Lux and Turnstile Blues. Enjoy.
everybody. Thought there was another song coming. Um, so welcome to the uh, music and tech panel of Culture Collide in San Francisco, west of Pecos. Um, there's a really good pork chop here, where they used to be. Um, I'm going to let uh, the five panelists introduce themselves, and then I'll, uh, I'll say my name. I'm uh, Garrett Groman. I head up the music department at Indiegogo. Jeff Roberto, Director of Consumer Marketing at Shazam. Jonathan Barnes, Director of Partnerships at 8Tracks. Uh, Doug Scott, Vice President of Marketing and Artist Relations at Bandpage. Uh, I'm Kevin Arnold. I'm, um, well, I'm a couple things. I'm the uh, founder and CEO of uh, Open Aura, but also the uh, founder and uh, promoter of Noise Pop and uh, Treasure Island Music Festival, so tech and live. Kevin's the coolest one. And then, <laughs> and then my name's Donnie Dinch. I uh, founded Will Call, which was a uh, live music discovery app. So uh, I guess I want to start this off. You heard the conversation earlier uh, talking about, you know, there's a lot of tech. There's a lot of cool tools, a lot of uh, colorful things. But the most important part is still uh, the, the human connection. And, you know, I, I think that, there's a, there's a, I was actually just having a conversation. There's a lot of things that we, that we can talk about, like, you know, how do we, how do we get above the noise bar? How do we, how do we get what we're making out? And I think that uh, maybe I'll start this question off and say, um, what is it, like, what is the method to releasing music, to getting seen, to getting live? Like, what do you think these days are uh, the best path to take? Because there's so many tech tools. Like, how do you navigate that right now? So I think it's hard to... I don't think the playbook has been finalized yet. I think the last 15 years, pretty much ever since Napster, things have been in such flux and there's been such change that um, it's hard to say exactly what steps one would take as an artist uh, to, I guess, rise above the noise. But I think some principles are becoming clear. Number one, produce constantly, uh, small chunks, uh, raise your output, uh, the level of output. The quality doesn't necessarily need to be what it was when, you, you know, it was every five years a studio album, but just constantly be creating. Uh, and then the other principle that jumps out to me is, uh, is just authenticity and being available to whoever your fans might be on any channel all the time and being uh, completely human as opposed to uh, behind a barrier or anonymous or you know the, the type of interactions that, that prevailed in say the MTV era yeah, I mean I agree I would say that um, fundamentally the, the game plan really hasn't chan- changed that much but the way you execute it does I think your point about releasing things much more often with a little bit less preciousness is definitely true right but you practice you make music you play it you practice it you record it and release it and then you try and make fans come and enjoy it right so but it is totally different right labels are not necessary ne- not necessarily necessary um, many many barriers of distribution retail shelf space radio promotion media press have all changed and become way more accessible to an artist and 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I think we should hear from Indiegogo, which is like uh, one of those big uh, forces of change, I think, from like, you know, the way that you reach fans and, and you know, create, put stuff out into the world. Yeah, for sure. A big thing that um, I encourage artists to do when they're running campaigns with us um, for whatever it is they're funding is to uh, ask their fans what they want. I think that that's a good way to, I mean, if you are giving your fans exactly what they want, they're going to be stoked. They're going to share it with their friends. Um, you know, and just like you said, being like available and um, like human with them rather than like, I always make the analogy of um, like when I was growing up, I, I've always been a big rap fan, but I like from 50 Cent to Drake, the differences, obviously music's completely different, but like 50 Cent, you only knew what he talked about in his songs. And it was like basically like drugs and killing people, um, <laughs> which is like great for like a 15-year-old kid in the Midwest that base his life off that but um with like the the drake stuff and like the uh just like the the hurdles i got or the berries that have been taken down with social media and stuff like that like i now know the music aside like with 50 cent it was only what he wanted you to know with drake like i know where that he goes to sing sing karaoke uh, in new york when he comes when he comes to new york like you know everything that these artists are doing now, so I think that by um, making artists that much more available, it's a lot easier to just connect with them and, and to like really have something like take ownership, I guess, in, in whatever it is that, that they're doing. So yeah, sure. I'll I'll chime in on that and just say I think it's it's very important that artists have that direct dialogue with fans and be able to almost control their destiny through their fan base. We're, we're doing, at Shazam, we're doing a lot of promotions where we're enabling the artists to kind of engage their fans and then almost dictate where the tour is going to go, um, you know, where that artist is going to perform, where that artist is going to engage most with their, most with their fan base, and we're just doing that through, through the activity happening and geolocating that activity. So I think that's, you know, it's an interesting spin on connecting with fans and then specifically going to them and serving, super serving your, your super fans, really. So you're saying it's a silver bullet? No, no, not necessarily. But but I think it's it's a different game in that sense. Where before it was, you know, uh, your tour may have not been fully, you know, kind of uh, navigated by your fan base, and now it actually can be, and you can actually, you know, work with pockets of fans to grow that that fan base over time. Yeah, I mean, I'll just add saying that I think there's a lot there. There is no silver bullet as was mentioned before. Um, but th- there are a lot of people out there trying to find ways for artists to make more money um, or build their fan base and do those things that ul- ultimately help them break through and build a career. And, and I think you know the best, the word that Garrett uses, available, used it a couple times, and I think that is absolutely the core of the idea is make sure that you're out there, um, that you have a relatively constant flow of content, whether that's the songs or it's other things that you can put out there, whether it's social media or photos or whatever. Like, just make sure that you, you know, you are available uh, for when that person, that fan who has not heard you before, all of a sudden turns their gaze on you. Like, be ready for that and hit them with everything that you have as an artist. Um, and so, I think that availability is key. And then, you know, making sure you're taking advantage of all the different. All the different places that are out there uh, for your, you know, your your content to live. Uh, that's you know 
how you're going to start to, you know, it's not sexy, it's not a silver bullet, but incrementally you build your fan base that way. Cool. So um, as, as you're getting started as an artist, uh, obviously, you know, the way that you distribute music is considerably different now than it was historically. And uh, with, uh, you know, a lot of difficulty making money from streaming services. Um, I guess two-part question, whoever wants to answer that. Uh, how do you guys feel about streaming services in their current state right now? And if you're not going to make money off of selling, you know, records early on because of a streaming service, what other sort of ways can you, you know, stay afloat and pay the bills? Hmm, all right, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll hop in at least from one perspective being... Um, so, I, like, I've worked in digital music since, like, the late 90s and, and um, helped build Rhapsody, the first streaming service that, that was commercially launched with, with uh, well, with all content, I guess, right? And started as an independent service and eventually came to be a major service. Um, yet, so, 15 years later, pretty much, like, totally not decided yet. Jury's still very much out, I would say. And... While the industry itself has, and you know, maybe now I think we're past that tipping point of fans, and, and it's certainly still not mainstream behavior, right? But like at least core fans started starting to move and adopt streaming. Um, it's it's not doing it for the music industry, for the recorded music industry, let's say, right? Um, it's important, I think, to separate. You know, people use music industry as this blanket term, and it's generally talking about the record industry, which is the part that's dying, whereas everything else is is pretty damn healthy i mean we certainly are we're uh creating and going to more music festivals than we ever have by a long shot right so there's there's many many bright spots but yeah i don't know streaming uh, you know somebody uh, somebody i guess who's sort of been involved in this since the beginning and I, I still am a firm believer i'm 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 uh certainly a user i pretty much outside of basically i buy vinyl and i have i listen to digital streaming services as, as my music uh consumption now and, you know, only those ones that the bands I truly love and, and are super engaged with are the ones I go out and, and buy those physical artifacts from. Um, but, you know, fundamentally still, it's, it's not working for, for artists, and uh, at least not in the way they want it to work, let's say. Um, and so it's, it's still got some work and struggle to do. I think part of the problem is that the services are, you know, well, just think about the previous question and all these ways about talking about artists engaging their fans and touching them in all these other places. Yet, music services themselves are pretty much like a utility these days. You go and you click play, and then you go back to whatever you were doing, right? So, I think there's. Um, it's certainly not perfect. I think there's a lot more work to be done, but uh, I, I, I remain optimistic. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say as a fan. As a music fan, I love streaming services. Like all the music in the or almost all the music in the world at my fingertips at like all my demand. Yeah, yes, please. That sounds awesome. Um, and I think you know we're definitely going to continue to see you know fans adopt streaming services. So then I think the real question is is how do you how do you create an environment in streaming services that allow artists to capitalize on that engagement? I feel like all the conversation so far has been about like how many pennies per stream and are we, you know, is it, are we fractions of a penny per stream are we getting? I feel like that just totally misses the point, which is you've got engaged fans. Engaged fans and like, in, or replace fan with user or consumer in any other business, and you're talking about like the ultimate core cornerstone of value in the online ecosystem. So music has that more than 
any business. Like, it's the most engaged with category online right now. There are literally billions of people who engage with music on online services every single month. So nothing is like that. And so if the music industry can really try to figure out, and streaming services being a center point for a lot of that activity, if they can find ways to help artists capitalize on people who get really into them, and they can, they have the data, they know how much each one of us is listening and exactly what we're listening to and what we shared with our friends and what we put in a playlist, that's all sitting on a server. The thing that's not happening yet at a full level is taking that data and then putting it back into the system so an artist can know who's listening to them at that moment and what to show that person and making sure that there's ways to show an offer to that person when they engage. We're actually working with Shazam right now on something where when somebody Shazams a song, there's a bunch of tiles that come back on the results page. And one of those tiles we're starting to serve an offer into from an artist. So like right at the moment that someone just discovered that artist, like all of a sudden we can show them something that they could theoretically buy and help an artist monetize that. Now we're right at the beginning of that but that's just an example of the kind of thing that can be done to help artists capitalize on the moment of engagement. And it becomes not really a conversation about like pennies per stream. It becomes a conversation more about like how many dollars for, per fan can you really build in that relationship with them over time as they become really into you. So I, I love what streaming services can be for the music business. I think that they haven't even scratched the surface yet of what the value they'll provide ultimately to musicians. Yeah, I can I can echo that because we are we are working together um, and say that we're we're trying to build a deeper um, personality around and and experience around um, what was once known as a utility. Right, people perceive Shazam as a utility. We're kind of moving away from that and working with a variety of partners. All the streaming services are integrated, and it's really about kind of the user choice and where they want to go and how they want to connect with that music. If they want to download it, stream it, buy merchandise, um, and we're basically enabling a platform. For other services to uh, to plug into, so I think what's going to come what it's going to come down to is the streaming services and other partners continuing that experience and providing you know that level of uh, of customization and then allowing artists to get engaged more because that's not necessarily happening across the board today. So um, Kevin, you mentioned that obviously the music industry isn't just the recording industry; it's also the live industry, and it is it is very healthy right now. How to how do you how, as an artist, and this isn't, I guess you can answer if you'd like, but as an artist, how do you, you say you, you, you have to get over, you get over the, the state of streaming, but you have, you have a lot of fans, and you want to start, you want to start to get on a tour, you want to kind of promote more people, you want, you're, you're hoping that people are discovering your, your music through some tools, um, I guess, how do you translate, like, the gap from getting from, oh, I've got a few listens all the way up to, I'm going to go, I'm going to get onto a Treasure Island tour, I'm going to go or going to a Treasure Island, I'm going to get on tour. Like, what are the, what are the uh, essential things that need to happen now? Well, you need to practice. <laughs> and you need to use your cell phone or email and call those local promoters and clubs and go play shows at those places. And then hopefully they'll put you on a bigger show. And, and you know, I mean, that part of the story, I yeah. guess, hasn't changed in some ways, right? So it's interesting to think about how technology impacts that well it impacts it through and you know maybe varying degrees of of value in these tools right so you can certainly put yourself out there control the story and the perception you want anybody whether it's a fan or a booker or a promoter or or you know a dj or whatever it is like you can control that story you can give them more tools and and you know sort of put your best face forward in a much better way there's 
platforms and, and sites like Reverb Nation or um, Sonic Bids, I suppose, it might help you down the road of some of those live things. But really, like, it, it, I, don't, I don't think any of those things are the silver bullet, back to right. the to earlier point, right? You, you still need to, and, and, and even though Noise Pop and, and Treasure Island both to, have worked with Sonic Bids in the past, for example... You know, we certainly aren't like, oh, shit, what are we going to book this year? Let's go log into Sonic Bids and find out, right? Like, nothing changes that. Um, I think that's how Culture Collide does their booking, though. Um, sorry, Alan's not even here. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's um, I think there's a lot of tools that can make that easier and more effective, but you're still essentially doing the, the same work. I'm sure I'm missing some other angle here. There's, like, you know, crowdsourced sites that will like let people vote for bands that want to have come to town and stuff like that we demand is one and, and what else is there i'm blanking on another name or two but there's a few yeah but there's tools and i guess just the and to kind of elaborate on my question a little bit more like how like we're saying that you have to be more available you have to be more on social media you have to basically be familiar with so many tools i guess how do you balance the dependence like like as you as you want to grow, like, you, you know, word of mouth has always been the best way to really share music. How do you, uh, like, what are some other strategies to really, I don't know, get to, get to the live sector, I guess, get beyond group streaming? Nobody live on here. Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. Very cool. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that question went well. So, um, so as far as, as far as, uh, you know, switching gears slightly a little bit here. Um, we're actually in this very interesting world where there's a lot of very, very great music being made in San Francisco, and there's also um, there's a lot of tech going on. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I remember, you know, like, growing up, like, you know, listening to Sex Pistols or whatever and, like, being very... I don't think there was Wikipedia at the time, but whatever I read about how they were just, like, spit on people and they would piss people off and they would push people beyond what they were comfortable. And uh, I would say there's a little bit of a degree to that right now in San Francisco, and I guess most of us are all based in San Francisco. So I guess how would you, how would you uh, suss right now, like, you know, being an artist and this, this is an environment that's becoming more and more expensive to work in, um, but still balancing being around a great creative culture and community? Um, yeah. No, New York's perfect. Sure. <laughs> All right, so just to, just to clarify, if I were an artist living yeah. in San Francisco, how would I engage with the local community? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, I, everything we said so far, I mean, being real, putting a voice out across social channels, engaging with folks, I think it's very important to, you know, play locally, support the local clubs, the local venues. Um, and, you know, I think it's, if, if, you're, if you're local in and around San Francisco, I think it's important to do something special and specific in this, in this region for your fans. Now, that could be a variety of things, but I'm just kind of brainstorming here. But, I, you know, if I were an artist locally, I would think of ways to, to do something pretty cool and unique and touch fans in a way that, you know, if you're somewhere else in the country, you just won't have that experience. You know, I'll, I'll add something to that, which is, uh, you know, I, I think... Um, a lot of technology is here to make the world more democratic in some ways, but the world doesn't always work that way. And being in San Francisco, specifically, um, you have access to a lot of people who are creating um, really large platforms, really large play, you know, ways to reach people. And if you go and hang out, I'm not suggesting that everyone should do this, but like, if you go and hang out and, and become friends with some of these companies, you might be surprised at some of the opportunities that result from that, where 
you know, they can promote you in certain ways. And just because they know you and they get to know your music and they like you, I mean, that is actually sort of like, it's a little bit, you know, maybe uncool to say, but the reality is, is that the world's not always fair. That old adage about, it's, you know, not what you know, it's who you know, is kind of true in a lot of ways. And being here, you have access to a ton of people who have really large platforms for communication and reaching your fans or potential fans. So, I mean, becoming, like, go spend some time, like, physically in a technology company that, that you want to learn more about. Um, and I'm sure that they'll be really open to talking to you and understanding more about your goals as an artist. And I, more often than not, good things will result from that. Okay, so I... I agree with, I think, what you're saying in principle, although I think it's really complex with regard to, like, the city's relationship with arts and vice versa, right? So on one hand, it's like, I think there's plenty, especially in digital music, like companies that open their doors and sort of invite that in to a degree. Um, and uh, several of them represented here at the table, right? Uh, at the same time, like, how does... I wonder from what you're saying, like, you know, how, how does one do that, an artist, go and approach this technology world, right? Because, like, fundamentally, like, the thing that's there that nobody wants to talk about is, like, most of, let's let's say most, like, a significant part of the arts community, the sentiment is, like, fuck you, technology guys. Um, and excuse, we aren't really on the air, are we? It's the internet wave, so. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, like, so how do we, and I, I sit right in the middle of this stuff to a degree, right? Like, how do you... You know, I, I, I guess for me, it's like, how do you make the non-music technology system sort of open and embrace that that stuff in a sense, and um, and bridge something there? Like, I think there's a lot more opportunity that, especially in this marketplace where the city is undergoing so much change, and it's really hard to live and survive here as a musician or an artist uh, of any type, right? And generally, the people who we're going to blame are the technology companies that. <laughs> Sometimes we're creating or work for, you know, but uh, like it's all part of the same, same system, right? I mean, I definitely think you have uh, concentric rings of success, and the further away you get from a company's uh, connection or ability to be relevant in a music-related space, the less, you know, the harder it will be to necessarily make that connection. But first of all, I think there's a lot of companies that are solidly in the, you know, the realm of influencing music. Some of them quite big. I mean obvious things like Twitter and mm. Facebook and Google and Apple like all all have music a aspects to them and so I, I think it's really a question of like how do you as an artist and I, again this is not for everybody I'm sort of answering the question here which is like how do you take advantage of the, the proximity to, to these to help your career as an artist and if you're up for it you can find anyone in the company now and if you're a little bit diligent you'll be able to find a way to reach them. And LinkedIn's amazing. And, like, you know, there's a ways that you can pretty much reach just about anyone at this point if you're diligent enough. And it's hard and it's maybe a little bit intimidating, but you know what? Like, if you do it, it'll probably work out for you. So, Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that certainly, like, the irony, of course, is that many of those employees and people that work in that business are the guys at the clubs. Exactly. And, and I, too, fans. you know, buying <laughs> buying music and paying yeah. for tickets and stuff like that. Um, but it does seem like there's some opportunity for some more explicit bridge. Like, the companies you named, I think, are, you're right, super powerful, influential in, in, in our world. Yet, I don't think they really engage that much directly, like, on the grassroots and sort of city, city level. You know, it's 
like within the confines of my campus <laughs> where it's safe and clean. Yeah. <laughs> Coming to my building. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. that's fair. Um, so, you know, what's interesting is that a lot of the things that are being built now, a lot of from a technology perspective, and I guess this is still SF-centric, culture collide SF-centric, um, a lot of the things that are being built are, are probably not being built by artists, but are built in a way where people think, oh, I, I think artists might like this, or I think other people that listen to music might, might like this. Um, and, you, I mean, you're right. I think there has to be some sort of a, some, like maybe a better mechanism improvement on channels on how to communi- communicate, because even with... Even with Will Call, I'm pretty sure I pissed off a lot of people whom I love, and I want to make great things. Even I think I might have pissed off Kevin a few times. But I think, in general, what kind of suggestions would you have for kind of opening the channels? What other, like, sort of forums? I guess, what more do you think can be done, uh, I guess, collaboratively? That's pretty much directly to me, huh? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I think... uh, No, it's all right. Um... You know, for, I guess for me, I'd like to see, and I think this is something that needs to sort of come out of the community from an arts perspective as well, right? Like, I don't know who needs to do the inviting in, <laughs> but but there needs to be mutual invitations, right? There right. needs to be there needs to be something in between there, right? And certainly, like, like you know, again, look at the wealth and money being generated in our economy here, like Silicon Valley in general and San Francisco, in in particular, right? Like, there's um. Yeah, I don't quite know what it is. I, I feel like it's also maybe you know maybe we're overcomplicating it, right? But super put more money back into this community and, and figure out venues for making those connections. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it comes down to things like even you look at like streaming services in general that are moderately successful or doing well, um, but kind of still have you know it's, it's not all solved yet. So I, I mean, how do how do you we have this this you know music basically hopefully being improved the discovery the distribution all the all the ways that we consume music but at the same time we're going through these hiccups so i guess if there's any kind of a like a last note like how do we how do we prepare ourselves for the horizon of what's coming over the next 5 or 10 years from an artist perspective yeah so i think i echoing what we said earlier there's going to be more data more ways to connect um more connections to happen in terms of engaging with more fans globally, real time, and so I think it's it's really going to come down to you know how how do artists kind of manage that, right? I mean, because I think there are so many channels now and so many ways to put content out, get a reaction, and engage. Um, you know, what do you do when you wake up? What do you work on? And you should be working on music, right? So how do you how do you kind of do do the marketing and do the promotion? I was just moving towards the beer that just showed up. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I was, yeah no, I, I just want to, I, I agree with that. I mean, I really think it's like artists, this is a moment when artists and their managers as, you know, a, a critical partner for them uh, really need to take control. Um, it's a unique opportunity where I think there's so many new connection points and that those, like, how to use those and who's supposed to do that for an artist and all that stuff hasn't really been worked out. And nobody is as aligned with the artist as ultimately like the manager is and the artist ultimately is you know, at the core of that. Um, and lots of times artists want to focus in on making music, playing live shows and, and like sort of you know, generating the art, which is totally legit and a completely fine way to go about things. But somebody needs to be really, and it could be the artist or it could be somebody on their behalf, but they really need to be thinking about how they take control of, of, of really every aspect of their career. And the cool thing is that now you have the tools, either as a manager or as an artist yourself, 
to do that. You can distribute your music. You can book your shows. You can sell your merch. You can make your merch in an on-demand way. You can do all kinds of things that would never have been possible like three years ago, you know, uh, in the same way. And it is a lot of it's because slowly the data is becoming available to help make better decisions. The tools are becoming available that allow you to do that in a cost-effective way. Um, And it it will streamline the business over the next five years or ten years, something like that, in ways that are, you know, probably hard to predict but are going to be profound. And, And ultimately... I think there's an opportunity for artists and managers at this point to seize that opportunity and ultimately um, build a, a, a better financial picture for artists as a result. Yeah, and in some ways, I, I think the biggest opportunity for artists in this particular region isn't necessarily the like the proximity to all these different tools, new or, or innovative, that you can be the first to avail yourself of it's it's more like you can swim in the in the culture that rock and roll was in the 60s and 70s of you know no boundaries limitless possibilities whatever you want to do try it speak truth to power um just you know basically the the rebellion and again like authenticity uh, it, which is kind of a mantle being carried by a lot of these companies, uh, either in music or outside of music in the Bay Area, uh, is probably something that can be a, a two-way exchange. I think that's an interesting point, but like, do you feel like the... Should we be expecting the same sort of social change and, and uh, you know, movement and all of that stuff that happened in the 60s and 70s? And, like, part of me feels like, hey, shouldn't it be even crazier than than then because we have all these tools to amplify this voice and spread this message is why isn't that happening <laughs> um i think or is it and i'm just like I, listening to the wrong shit yeah, I, 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 <laughs> well, i'm trying I to is, i'm trying yeah. to meld my personal perspective which is as as a fan uh and a, as a consumer of music uh and a long time ago maybe 10 years ago as a sort of amateur professional uh, I'm, I'm deeply into electronic music and European underground electronic music where that uh, attitude might still might not have been uh, kind of varnished and polished the way it has in other forms of music but I think a lot of it um, might be some of the examples that we look to you know nationally famous uh, acts um, do have a lot of their edges smoothed out and aren't necessarily um, leading the way like a visionary artist might lead and I think there's a bit of a vacuum there uh, throughout the entire country when it comes to music being something that can drive the culture uh, right now technology is driving the culture at least in the Bay Area and uh, th- it doesn't have to be that way yeah, I think there's an interesting it, it's an interesting question you, you said you know no act has really sort of stepped into like a leadership role and you know I was just thinking about like even the biggest acts are kind of tiny, you know, in, in the face of the c- entire consumption of music, you know what I mean? It's like, it's such a fragmented universe of artists. And I feel like if, I'll go back to my little manager's artist thing a second ago, but if that, if that community organized and was less like a group of small businesses, but it became more like a the combined power, at least a couple of combined powers, you know, on behalf of the artists. It might be a really 
interest, it might be able to affect serious change and in the, within the music realm of music as opposed to beyond music to revolution, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, on one hand, you get like Pussy Riot, like that's pretty sort of amazing story and that actually did or is in the process perhaps of, uh, of like, you know, making an impact and change. On the other hand, like nobody takes Bono seriously anymore, right? And uh, it's like, that's sort of that as a career. And so what's, what else is there in the spectrum? You know, hip-hop certainly had a voice, and, 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 uh, and you know, this is a sort of very dangerous, scary road to go down and talk about, right? Because there's many, many angles there. But it, it, it had sort of a voice in that sense in one way, and now you could probably argue that, like, it's now much more surfacy and, you know, lost some of that, right? So, I don't know, another folk music revival or something? <laughs> I think too it's tough to like push the boundaries the same way that you know like the times that you're talking about I wasn't around for them but I do have VH1 um, so <laughs> I'm not that old man <laughs> <laughs> no um, no but I think it's tough like anytime any artist is anything slight that will offend any group the same tools that are like propelling them and using like making it possible for their music to reach every corner of the earth are like shitting all over them so it makes it, it it's tough because like with one you know like you don't want to bite the hand excuse me bite the hand that feeds but like you kind of have to eh, but it's going to bite you back you know it's I don't know in a way the fans are like that thing that's going to bite you because yeah. like you could be CeeLo exactly yeah I mean, like, <laughs> and one second you're like the movement is the fans against the artist as opposed exactly. to the artist against establishment yeah <laughs> so no, for sure interesting and it seems like that happens like in, in much quicker time period. Like it probably still happened like, like a long time. One hundred and forty characters or less. Yeah, like like literally in the time it takes you to poop. Yeah, you could you could be fucked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How long does that take? <laughs> this long. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So basically. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting because it, it does seem like you, you have this double-edged sword of you need to be more communicative, you need to be more open, but it leaves you much more vulnerable. And so you, you combine that with another few things happening that everyone's time attention span is considerably shorter than it ever used to be. People listening to 50 artists a day instead of five. And so it becomes a much more difficult endeavor to be a huge, huge musician if that's the, uh, if that's the end game. So... Um, I don't know if there's any closing statements from anyone, but ultimately everything's still in flux. It's still going to be very hard. <laughs> we saw nothing on yeah. this panel. <laughs> no, there's, but, we're, but we'll still be here churning through money. So. There we go. <laughs> Are we questioning? Or? Uh, no, I mean, yeah, if there's... Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Uh, thanks, Red Bull and Heineken and yeah. <laughs> all the other sponsors. Do people have questions out there? Oh, yeah, Q&A? I'll just say that, I mean, I think the question, in case people couldn't hear it, was, uh, you know, talking about artists taking lead, and Tom York re- released his album on BitTorrents, past a million downloads, and how does that sort of fit into that 
that ethos. And my sense is, is that, first of all, I think that was great. And I think that he's using his, his scale, you know, and his, his platform that's been established over, over time to try new things and to get people talking about stuff and considering different paths. And I think that's really cool. And that is sort of what we're talking about. And at the same time, I feel like it almost proves the point that I was making that any one artist on their own is not going to not going to move the needle even someone with as large a platform as the lead singer of Radiohead you know so um, you know it's one of those classic things where you know we'll we'll fondly remember this two weeks from now and be like oh remember that Tom York down the you know (laughs) so I I think it's going to be you know I mean like the world's moving fast and unless there's a more collective uh, approach to it um, things like that will be disorganized if a hundred of the top artists in the world had done that at the same time it might be a really different story. Well, I mean, I think it's just about like what every artist wants, right? You, you want, you've got to stand out and set yourself apart from the pack and direct attention to you instead of somebody else. And novelty to some degree helps do that, right? And so I don't, I think it's interesting the way you framed it, right? To say it's subversive. And I, I, I think I get where you're coming from there. And I agree to the extent that like, hey, we're going to take this platform that totally screwed the industry in, a, in like a very wide perception way, and I'm going to use this to put my music out there. Not the first, like BitTorrent's, BitTorrent's been doing stuff like that uh, for a while or trying to. It's certainly the biggest, um, the biggest case. But I'm not sure, like if I don't know what the objective is. That there's an underlying strategy for BitTorrent to have more people release their music there. It's just pipes in a way, right? And it's unlike the last time Radiohead did it. You got to pay for it, which is great. You should pay for it, you know. But Radiohead is in this position in this case, and I think Tom, you know, I, I mean, th- yeah, to me, they're still the best band in the world. I think, and and uh, I, I have tons of admiration for what they do. But it's like, uh, let's figure out how we can how we can do something different and unique and sort of stand out and build a story here, just like they did within Rainbows, right? And that was a grand experiment, but a grand experiment that nobody wants to repeat, right? And and just in the same way, I know part of it as well is an artist doesn't an artist wants to create their own tricks, not follow somebody else's tricks, right? And so you you aren't going to see this. I mean, somebody's going to go do this and get a ton of attention for it, and I'm going to be like the artist right after them, who's like, "Yeah, I'm doing it too," you know. <laughs> to that point, well, sorry, Tom York already did it. Beyonce already did it, you know. Like, these are super powerful things. You could drop an album nobody expected right out of the bat and make an impact, but it's not repeatable, which is, to go back to the music tech thing, something I think that uh, a trap, in a sense, that many small tech companies fall into, which is, like, they're creating this great platform or tool that's going to create some new experience, and they go out and, you know, how many, how many auto-tune apps are there now? Uh, there's still just T-Pains. Like, no, nobody else is going out and doing that model over and over again because it's a novelty and it's something that they want to do to promote themselves. And oftentimes, to the detriment of the technology company, the industry is pretty good at doing this. Just like, yeah, we'll come in and we'll embrace your thing and we're going to milk it really hard and then we're going to just toss you off to the side because that trick is done. So. I have more, I have more to add on this. I'm, just one other point because it made me think of some things. Like the other, the other thing is I think all those things are I totally agree with what you said Kevin and the that's just one revenue stream right and everyone keeps going back to like how do we make money from the music how do we make money from the music which is understandable totally understandable that's the core of the art that's being created or at least part of the core of the art the live performance being the other part and 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 I get that people want to monetize that you know but 
my background, I spent a couple of years in the gaming business where it went from this transition from like a disc in a box through Walmart to, um, you know, this free to play model where all of a sudden you just gave the game away for free. And the gaming business didn't get forced into that. They did that on, on purpose because all of a sudden they had all these online consoles and mobile phones and stuff that they could see what fans were doing. And they could see like there's this group of people who are super, super into this game. It, for every single game, there's somebody that is crazy into it. And that might be unhealthy at some level, but then there's a really big chunk of people who are just really into it, and this is their favorite thing, and their social fabric is like wrapped around it, and this is what they love to do. And it's no different than a fan who wants to like follow a band around or like will gladly spend hundreds of dollars to meet that artist. It would be like the easiest thing in the world for them to do because they love that artist and they're super inspired by them. And that's an amazing experience for them to have. And why shouldn't they be able to spend that money and do that thing, you know? And why shouldn't the artist be able to make that money? So I think, you know, this constant focus on monetizing the music as opposed to thinking about, like, how do you build that connection with that fan? And then there's probably a lot of things that that person would be glad to buy that come from you that are related to the, you know, either directly or indirectly related to that connection. And how do you really think about that? So, yeah, the BitTorrent... You know, drop is probably not going to be a repeatable model, but the idea that you can do things that build your fan base and connect to people, and then being thoughtful about making sure that you have whatever's comfortable for you it has to be authentic. It has to be real to you. But like, be creative about the things that you have for them to buy too. Why not? You know, they'll buy them. I've seen it happen. It's crazy. Yeah. But do you think he'll release his next album for free the same way? I don't know. He's excited. I mean, I think it's a, a smart and super, it's the right thing to do for him at that point, right? But the model, the pattern is give it away so you can charge for it. Yeah. And almost any content business, I would say. But I think building on what Doug said and also going back to what Jeff said earlier about super serving your super fans, I think that's that's the key is just doing whatever it takes, whether it's a, a BitTorrent release or something else to build the community of, of you, the artist, the community around you. It might be throwing a particular type of party that brings a certain type of people together. It might be doing things in your own way. It might be your music, some combination of it, but you, that's where technology would come in is helping you kind of reach the identify those super fans identify the, the the niche that we're all kind of able to retreat into now that we can access only that which totally we love uh, and then using technology to 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 super serve them uh, analogizing to the to the streaming service question from earlier something like uh, there was a talk at South by Southwest that kind of segmented the music consumers into these different groups and it's just like video gaming segments where there's a certain small percentage of the music consuming public that will spend a lot of money every year on music or on games. Uh, the vast majority will maybe spend 
10 bucks a year on music. Uh, that's, that's radio. That's what you turn your car on and you listen to. Uh, that's the, the size of the, of the advertising on radio market is dwarfs the size of the recorded music market. Um, but that's still out there. That's an opportunity to build your community, to find ways to engage people and kind of make them, uh, assimilate them into, into your tribe and then to, uh, you know, take advantage of all the tools to, to serve them extra helpings. Especially radio. Uh, uh, start recording music now so you get in on the mix. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been there longer? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Get there first. Yeah. No, I, I think people might not like this, but then this is, I don't have any like ironclad evidence to back this up, but something that I've recently been thinking about, um, I manage like a smaller band and they always tell me like, man, we want to change the world. And I, totally like I'm so down for that if we can figure out a way to change the world let's do it but like I think managing um, expectations should also be important in like today's music industry uh, being the recorded music industry but even music industry in general I think that like um, the same way that's like it's so easy to get your music to a lot of people um, and then there's also it's so easy to be forgotten I, and this may be like I said I should bands not expect to be around as long as as they used to be? I mean, you look at bands like like Maroon Five, uh, you know, mainly Adam Levine. He's got to be on a on a television show, in my opinion, to you know to keep his band going, to keep his brand alive. Like, to, diversifying and like rather than just playing music, like, and still he might not be remembered. Exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, he's got moves like Jagger, but we don't know what, whether. <laughs> You know, like if I have kids, if they'll know who he was, or if they'll know who, you know, they'll know who Mick Jagger was, though, at least. I don't know. That's just a, 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 my thought. Yeah, it's, it's an interest, it's definitely an interesting thing. I mean, and to your point, it's just like, yeah, everybody going from here forward will be competing with everything past plus whatever else gets made, you know, till then, right? But at the same time, you know, there's, there's something good in here, right? And I don't know if I'd, certainly the people like, well, let's go to like back to Elvis Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis or something. They were obviously playing off of some some other cultural movement and their own music history and their own stuff, whatever, when they started doing something radically different, just like Sugar Hill Gang was probably doing the same thing when they did something radically different, right? I think that that's part of the good part about it is, yeah, you always have more to compete with, but then again, you have more to play off of. And part of the interesting thing about art in general and music in particular is you're always sort of rewriting history, right? And back to the sort of adage of like, you know, every song's already been written, it's just being sort of re you know, redone or rethought or whatever. Um, that that's part of the landscape of music and I think it's a great thing and then 
if I can like stroke culture collide a bit, like one of the great things about looking at it from an international perspective, because we're super insular in the US and there's other stuff that's being filtered through whatever other lenses and in all parts of the world and, and you know, Vampire Weekend would not have existed if like there was not a huge Afro rock movement in the seventies and eighties and stuff. And so there's something good to come from all this stuff and people will figure out how to become memorable and that's what we'll remember. Can I add one, one sentence? I know we're running out of time. Sven Vaith, uh, German producer and DJ. I think the most inspirational and inspired musician in the world right now. And all he does is play other people's vinyl records and mix them together. Uh, so there's so much more to, to do uh, that you don't even have to look at it like a competition against all of the history of recorded music. That's all at your fingertips to create something special and new and, and for the now. So uh, I think that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank these guys for talking to us, and thanks for having us. Uh, it's 4 3 now. No, Thanks, guys. So we, got, we have one more panel that's coming up shortly, and it's, it's like very serious. Uh, it's going to get you know, down, to, down to brass tacks. Really knock it out of the park here with the Spirits of the World panel. We're gonna have a little bit of uh, a little bit of tasting. We we'll try some things, and uh, thanks for coming.
ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. We are at the Culture Collide San Francisco Creative Summit, broadcasting live. You've been listening to some great panels on music and technology. And next up, we have Spirits of the World. Just to give you a little idea what you've been listening to, that was Mama No by Everyone is Dirty, who's going to be playing at the chapel tonight as part of Culture Collide San Francisco. Um, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, there's still some left. $20 buys you a wristband uh, that gets you into all the shows that are happening and also the panels happening today. The bar is open. The game is on the, on the TV. You really can't uh, miss out here. And we've got a panel, and there's a lot of alcohol involved is all I've got to tell you. Um, I'm going to hand it over to the moderator for this panel, and that's Devin Chulik from Destructure Clothing. And uh, enjoy. This is the Spirits of the World panel. Thank you for that kind introduction. Uh, welcome to Spirits of the World. And a, a quick thank you to our sponsors, uh, Heineken, the Freshmaker. Uh, we're going to start this off. I'm going to have all of our panelists here go ahead and introduce themselves and also uh, let us know their go-to cocktail. Uh, so go ahead and take it away, gentlemen. Hi, I'm Wilson, uh, and my uh, favorite cocktail, or the one that I used, usually, usually go to, is um, Makers and Soda. Excellent, excellent. Wilson, uh, do you want to give us a little bit of background about why you were asked to join this panel uh, in that regard? Yeah, I'm friends with Jeff Wolf. Uh, I work at a music agency in Sausalito, and he asked me if I want to take the day off and have a couple cocktails. So here There I we go. You heard it here first. All right, I'm, uh, my name is Raza Zidi. I'm the owner of Oaxaca Mezcal. It's a relatively new brand of Mezcal. We've been on the market for about four, five, four years, about two, two and a half years in, uh, in uh, California. Um, coincidentally, I come from the music technology er- um, so universe, so I, uh, I work for about six or seven companies as a consultant, big expert in sort of music metadata, information management. So I work for Grace Node and AMG and Music IP and whole bunch of those companies. I also started a company called TuneUp, which some of you guys may know. We built a cool plugin for iTunes to clean up all your music information. So that's just coincidentally. Um, as far as cocktails, I mean, I really pretty much only drink um, agave-based uh, spirits and 98% of that being mezcal. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there's no signature mezcal cocktail. So it's, it's just like there's, you know, no major uh, mezcal brand, so it's kind of difficult really to choose a single uh, cocktail. No, there's, they're really a kind of zillions, and uh, they're all kind of equal in the mezcal world. No? So many options. So many options. I always go for a margarita, though. Yeah, <coughs> Great always with mezcal. A good one. Always a good one. Easy. Uh, my name's Jason Naona. I'm a bar manager at Trace, formerly Trace Agaves, big tequila um, agave spot, Mexican restaurant by the ballpark. Got to work the pregame earlier, going in for the postgame when this game's over. So this is my in-between right here to try a little bit of uh, a little bit more mezcal and tequila than I've already had earlier. Um, so, yeah, we got, we're going to have a lot of mezcal here, which is fantastic. And you guys are going to discover that San Francisco right now is very big and at the forefront of uh, mezcal and uh, most things bar-related as usual. So I brought a couple of mezcals as well. My good friend Rasa here, who I know well from that world. And uh, also tequila, so uh, we got a single barrel reposado that was made just for our restaurant, which you can't get anywhere else, which is pretty good. But, uh, you know, focus on mezcal and agave spirits, and uh, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I listen to music on occasion. 
Excellent, excellent. Uh, uh, if you uh, aren't on Twitter right now, you should go on and uh, check out Culture Collide. Also, Mezcal will be trending. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Eric Bach, um, also a friend of Jeff's. I'm a co-founder of HipCamp, a place to discover and book campsites. Uh, let's see, we threw a huge party, rock and roll party in the Redwoods a couple weeks ago, and Jeff was a big part of that. Uh, so I think he wanted to uh, get me drunk in return in the middle of the day. What a nice guy. <laughs> I'm more of a classic cocktail man. I usually go for like a Vucare or an old-fashioned, something like that. But I might be uh, persuaded to Mezcal today. We'll see. Ah, the guy who gets drunk in the Redwoods loves a Manhattan. <laughs> I am uh, Patrick Dunham. I work for uh, GitHub, which is a company based around the open source community. Uh, my favorite <clears throat> cocktail is a Paloma, but with Fresca as the mixer. That's an excellent choice. If you guys don't know GitHub, they have a, a bar inside their offices, so they know what they're talking about when it comes to drinking. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to get started here with our first drink. Uh, but once again, we want to give a big thanks to our sponsors, Heineken. I'm loving it. <laughs> our, uh, our, uh, our first drink here is the Old Smoky Original Moonshine. This uh, seems like it's going to be very hip. It comes in a mason jar. Uh, it's uh, brewed in Tennessee, uh, distilled in Tennessee. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a classic moonshine with a clear color. Uh, what do you guys think of it? Let's uh, all give it a taste. Uh, if you here in the audience uh, have not had one yet, uh, the wonderful uh, Ryan will go ahead and serve you up one if you like. Drink too, man. <laughs> oh, like we didn't know that. <laughs> uh, so go ahead and start it off with whoever has the, uh, the, the palate that most uh, wants to jump on the mic. I'll get on this one. Uh, go with the nose first, which there's not much on this, which usually means it's probably going to be an ass kicker. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I haven't put it in my mouth yet. But. Anticipation. That's nice. That's mellow. What's it, what's it, what's the bottle look like? I want to know now, what's going the, on. Now, the bottle right here we have, uh, for those of you uh, that are uh, visually impaired because you're listening to the radio, it is in a mason jar. Um, with a fancy old timey looking label, uh, they have they've actually won awards for their uh, their uh, bottling. Nice. So, you got, so you get a little bit of little bit of charcoal on there. It's that's name old smoke. I don't know what they do as far it as is the, distilled the charcoal. But, uh, Correct. You uh, you just received ten points for that yes. one. Oh, this the, you will be graded on this. <laughs> um, and it's uh, also primarily corn that okay, it's nice. uh, it's used with. Yeah, I like corn. I like corn in a moonshine. But yeah, you definitely. If I got anything on the nose, there's a little bit of charcoal notes, and then. Uh, yeah, definitely in the mouth. That's good. Now, uh, I'm going to throw out some questions here, uh, see uh, if any of you have. Um, now, what, what do you think was going to make a great cocktail with this? What would you, what would you mix this with? I would say you'd uh, like dump, dump it down inside of a watermelon or something like that. Watermelon, okay. You know, just like right upside down, cut a hole right in the middle of it. So uh, will, it, will, will we be seeing you at Fort Mason this weekend? Or, oh, I'll be or, there. Or Berloris, as I call it? I'll have my shirt off. Um, so if this booze... Uh, played an instrument, what kind of instrument would it play? <laughs> it would be like a sawed-off oboe. Ah, excellent choice. Ten points to you. <laughs> and we are saw. keeping score. Yeah. Uh, anyone else have any notes? Stand-up bass with a big hole in it. Uh, what's that? <laughs> stand-up bass with a big hole in it. No, but I, I agree on the, on the cocktail's got to be like pure fruit. I, I would say no liqueurs and just pure fruit because it really does have a really uh, nice, smoky, strong taste and that, that really combines with Negroni really well. on this one. So. Nah, I'd say pure fruit, man. 
Well, excellent, excellent. Well, gentlemen, we're going to go ahead and move on to the next one here. Um, this next one is a... Um, <laughs> now, I'm, I, I had to look this up to, to see how to say it. It is a uh, Casha Sa, which is a Brazilian type of liqueur. Uh, Cachaça. Cachaça. Okay. That's why you guys are on the panel, because you guys are the experts. We're, we're experts at this. We do this all day. Um, now, this one uh, is made in Brazil. Um, it is uh, distilled spirit from uh, sugarcane juice. That is what uh, uh, cachaça is. It's uh, sugarcane boots. Um, now, we're going to get this one. Uh, once again, um, a, uh, a big thank you goes out to our sponsors, Heineken, the king of beers. Um, now, does anyone want to uh, go ahead, uh, if you guys want to go and take a swig of this? Uh, someone kind of jump in with uh, whatever notes they taste. Let's see if you get it right from according to their website. It's nice. Good man, good man. This one's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> How nice is it? I'm not getting a recoil on this one. I was getting a recoil <laughs> on this one. But this one, there's no recoil at all. Recoil hits it's aged. Uh, so it's so aged not, a, not a sh- uh, shotgun. Not a sawed yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. <laughs> now they use a, uh, they have these uh, distilled in uh, barrels. Um, can you guys tell uh, what country of oak barrel this comes from? Ooh, good question. Good question. What country of oak barrel does yeah, this? United States. Let's, let's go. I'll go French though, because he's going U.S. I'll go French. Uh, and the answer is French. Ooh, kaboom. <laughs> um, uh, three points to you. Um, so now we're going to go on here. Uh, if this. Liqueur, spirit, uh, was a social media user. What social media do you think it would primarily use? Twitter, for sure. Ella. Ella? Oh, this is... <laughs> Tinder, she obviously wants to get laid, this one. She's real easy. That's probably why I couldn't find it online. Um, all right. Oh, go ahead. Uh, any other notes on this one? That is good. It goes, it goes, sure. down, goes down pretty easy. You don't see a lot of aged cachaças. There's nice. three primary flavors that you'll find in this drink. Uh, if you can name two out of the three, you'll get ten points. I'm getting parent. A little bit of parent. Vanilla. Parent? Yeah. You just lost the point because I didn't know what that is. <laughs> a little vanilla, maybe. Maybe some aged cheese. Nope. You lost a point, too. But you gain a point for originality. Um, apparently, uh, in here, you're going to find a uh, complex notes of caramel, pine nuts, and honey. But caramel's cheating because it's sugar anyway. I mean, exactly. That's what I was saying. I was going to go It's caramel. a different kind of sugar, though. <laughs> um, well, wonderful. All right. Now we're going to be moving on to our next drink here, which is the... Uh, actually, can one of you gentlemen help me pronounce this? I don't want to murder it. Galliano. Uh, Ryan, will you go ahead and just pour it at the, at the table for us? The wonderful Ryan here is, uh, is our... Assistant in helping us with making sure uh, all of our panelists are attended to, if you would. Um, a, uh, again, we want to make sure that everyone knows uh, that we are very thankful to our sponsors, Heineken. Eat fresh. <laughs> now, Yano is an Italian spirit. Uh, it is the original, the classic, as uh, some people would say, especially their website. Uh, this one is the, uh, you've probably seen it in plenty of bars. It's yellow looking. Um, but it's, uh, so it's, it, it looks kind of worrisome. It's in one of those fancy, kind of triangular, uh, alchemist shaped bottles. Um, now, uh, if anyone wants to uh, go ahead and uh, take a swig of that uh, and uh, just jump in if you uh, have uh, some notes you want to go on about it. 
That's this the essential uh, ingredient of the Harvey Wallbanger. Yeah. You know that one. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of my sorority days a little bit. What about you guys? Try a minic. <laughs> sure. <laughs> this is gross. I mean, it's wonderful. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of anise. Yeah, it's like Diamond Tap or Triumph. If it's not Smirnoff, I'm not interested. No, I'm kidding. Again, thank you to our sponsors, Heineken, the best a man can get. Now, uh, again, what, what, what would we use this uh, uh, liquor in, uh, or this, uh, this spirit? What, what kind of cocktail would this be ideal for? Let the users at home, let's, let's kind of play uh, DIY Pinterest uh, on, their, on their little get-togethers. You know, what, what kind of cocktail are we looking at here? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Other than a Harvey Wallbanger, I don't know. Maybe like over <laughs> ice cream, just like ice sprinkled on top. Just pretty- <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, if this uh, type of um, spirit was a musical genre, what kind of musical genre would it be? Pasta Prague, Pasta Prague, which is <laughs> Italian seventies Prague rock. <laughs> sounds Pasta fancy. Um, now what? Kind of boy band? What do you? Yeah, definitely. Oh, boy band. Yeah. Now, if this uh, spirit had a favorite nineties uh, TV show, what favorite nineties TV show would this spirit have? Blossom. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine, mine went to Small Wonder immediately for some reason. I don't know why. I just don't know why. Step by step. This one, right? This one we'll do next. Um, and then uh, if... Uh, now, lastly here, uh, you know, we'll save that question for the next one. Um, we're going to go ahead and pour out our next one. And this is... Um, Suerte? Suerte. 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 Uh, it's uh, we have uh, three options. It's all tequila. Um, actually, can we get a uh, uh, an audience member to help us pour some of these for our panelists as well? With uh, Ryan here, we got three options. This is wow. This is actually catching up quick. How how much uh, are we pouring pretty heavy for you guys? You guys could yeah, yeah, this one. Got, yeah, okay. yeah. He's got to play soccer tonight, and I got to play hockey, so this is going to be really bad. Well, now now the next question on this one is: when you drink it, I want you to know: would this um, uh, alcohol, if you were to drink it, do you think it would? allow you the ability to go and take a um, mission playground uh, soccer field away from children. <laughs> Definitely makes me speak Spanish. Um, okay, and again, uh, uh, we like to uh, thank our sponsors, Heineken. It's in the game. Uh, now, uh, here uh, is handcrafted from 100% blue Weber agave. Um, did I say that right? Agave? Agave, yeah. Agave. That's actually not Spanish. So. I, d- I didn't it's think it was. English. It was Italian. Yeah. Um, now, the, uh, now, first we're going to start with the, uh, the uh, Blanco, which, uh, if uh, high school taught me anything, means white. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's rested for about two months in uh, stainless steel tanks prior to bo- uh, bottling. So why don't you, uh, gentlemen, all take a, a, a swig of that and uh, kind of give us your, uh, your thoughts on it. Tastes like stainless steel. Tastes like what? Stainless steel. Stainless steel. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. Tastes like blue steel. That 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 just lost that just lost the Serta ten points. <laughs> Which, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please uh, note that uh, Suerta uh, actually won um, all the awards at the 2012 Tequila.net Best of the Best. Yeah. 
This this tequila is actually very good. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 one of my favorites out there. It's a new brand. It's very solid. They use a lot of old school traditional methods. They're doing good work for being a new brand. Now with this, I, give, the, I give them props personally. What is the best te- tequila drink to put this in? That's a good question. Paloma, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fresca, good Paloma. Paloma, Paloma, but with, but with uh, squirt, squirt, toronja yeah, squirt. squirt. Yeah. Yeah. If this, uh, if this tequila was a superhero, what superhero would this tequila be? Silver Surfer. El Santo. El Santo. Oh, wait, who, who? El Santo. Oh. Claro. Es muy bueno. El Santo enmascarado de plata. Exacto. Lucho libre. Uh, can you describe the kind of person that would not like this tequila? Someone who drinks Galliano. Dropbox <laughs> 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 Shots fired, but come on, they had it coming. <laughs> Silver Surfer was a good call. Good one, man. All right, all right, all right. Now, who would like this kind of tequila? Get, get, describe to us uh, the kind of person that's going to go and order this tequila at a bar. A discerning What's drinker. That? A discerning drinker. A connoisseur, ah. if you will. An aficionado? An aficionado. Excellent. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Aficionados only drink soda now. Suerte, 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 which means luck. Suerte. By the way, it means it means what in Spanish? Luck. luck. That was in luck. Sec- that was in second grade Spanish. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's exactly how they got into this panel. Suerte. They got in by their luck. Actually, uh, ladies and gentlemen, those of you that are not at home, go ahead and uh, check out Suerte online. They have a beautiful bottle design. Uh, as an appreciator, an aficionado of arts, um, I'd have to say I'm very impressed with their bottle design. Uh, designs that I will very much enjoy. Um, now, uh, we're going to be moving on to a uh, Soshu next, which is a, um, uh, you know, if any of you could describe, uh, what would you really kind of uh, say Soshu is? Soshu. That's what they have to offer when they don't offer liquor and you're kind of really sad about it. <laughs> so it's, ex- it, it's, it's the, uh, it's the, uh, the non-liquor license bar uh, liquor replacement, which, come on, let's be honest. You're thinking you're drinking a Bloody Mary, but you're not really. Do we have a definition on Soju here? I, I, can't, I can't get it on the Wi-Fi, so I, I won't be able to help you with that. Okay. <laughs> uh, and again, a, a big thank you uh, out to our, uh, our sponsors. Um, Heineken, the best stuff on earth. <laughs> that one's so all-encompassing. I mean, most of those are, but especially that one. Um, now, uh, after I, I did a little bit of research on this soshu, uh, and um, it's apparently it's like the it's like the the common man's uh, soju. It's uh, it's uh, most popular. Um, if you've ever had soju before, you probably had uh, ha- you've probably had this one. Um, do we have any experts on our panel of soju? You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we put together a panel with no experts on soju. Any and quick these men. These men make a life uh, out of uh, drinking booze, so you can just kind of rule out soju. I don't know if you could. T- you can't consider this booze. I mean, this is one of those alcohols that you're, you're just disappointed. Right. Whenever no, you're like, like you go water. to a restaurant and they give you a margarita, you're like, fucking soju? You gotta be kidding me. Oh, so it's like running into my ex-wife. I, oh. yeah, my, 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 I was like, what, what's wrong with the tap water? <laughs> it's a little, the tap water is very sweet. Yeah. So you would, you would opt for sake out. before you'd opt for this? I think so, as long as it's not hot. Ah, excellent. <laughs> um, now you get. Uh, now we have this. We have this delicious, beautiful bottle right here. Um, it is uh, 
Uh, Bulls, uh, Geneva. Am I saying that right? Bulls, Geneva? Geneva. Geneva. Um, now, this, this is, uh, is uh, from Amsterdam. Uh, they're saying it's been around since 1575, but that's a lie um, that advertisers uh, struck up. This actual uh, recipe has only been around since 1872. Uh, we need to do a little digging. Um, we here at Culture Collider are all about the investigative reporting uh, when it comes to music or booze. Now, uh, Geneva here uh, apparently was um, the staple before gin took over in the 19th century. So any kind of old school gin drinks um, were originally done with Geneva, uh, which is a, a brewed in Amsterdam. Um, I, uh, I'd like all of you kind of get a taste, knowing that it was a, it's a very uh, an old school... Uh, type of uh, spirit. It's a, uh, a vintage, if you will. What's it made now, out Now remember, of? a big thank you to our sponsors, Heineken. Think different. Is this made with juniper as well? Just like now, it's actually it's made with several, but juniper, uh, it's distilled with a uh, juniper berry distill. Hmm. According to Wikipedia. <laughs> thought you had no Wi-Fi. <laughs> He's got some printouts there. <laughs> he printed out Wikipedia into it. <laughs> but there was no highlighting that happened. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I printed out Wikipedia for today. I just had text edit, so I couldn't highlight anything. Now, it's, uh, it's usually mostly corn, wheat, and rye, which is uh, what the, um, the, the, uh, the Netherlands refer to as malt wine, and then blended with the uh, Juniperi uh, distillate. Uh, uh, being Jin's earlier uh, predecessor. Um, so uh, give, give us some feedback on this, gentlemen. What, what do we got here? A winner, a winner. Yeah. I could do some dancing around this, or like Ooh, with, what, with what, this. What, I, I can do some dancing with him. Oh, all right, ladies and gentlemen. We might be able to change the entire country with this yeah. kind of drink. Yeah. <laughs> game recognized game. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so it's, uh, uh, if you give us some notes on it, uh, kind of what you're tasting, how it hits your, uh, maybe some mouth uh, feel ratings. I get a lot of mouth feel with this one. A lot of mouth feel. Yeah. Yeah, this is mouth feel is a thing, ladies and gentlemen. Look it up. That's pretty, it's pretty mellow on the, uh, on the uh, whatchamacallits. I forget what they call them. The whatchamacallits. Not, 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 not a lot of juniper in there. The uh, botanicals, that's what I was looking uh, for. Ah, yes, it's very o- aromatic. AKA the uh, no, it's, it's 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 mellow. It's a lot more mellow yeah. than I thought. It's not overwhelmingly botanical or junipery. Wilson, we haven't really heard from you much. You've kind of just been sitting there drinking, dude. I mean, that's I thought that was what I was coming here to do. You know, I can drink this all day though. This this one, panel has been compromised. <laughs> so so uh, so uh, out of uh, what what would you guys consider your favorite gin drink? Which is weird because I know none of you are seven year old women, so it's an odd question to ask. So it's probably question. like most similar to a Hendrix because the botanicals are quite yeah. strong. Last word. Last word's always good. So I like me a corpse survivor personally. And I think the Negroni, the aforementioned Negroni. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, Negro- that's a great option. Now, if you could, if you could opt out the Campari for another kind of liqueur to mix with your Negroni and this, what would you do? Aperol, I guess. Aperol. Oh, oh yes. That's yeah. a good go-to, you know. You just got 30 points. 30 <laughs> points? Damn. Yeah. I because I, I really like Aperol. It's very tasty. It's like candy. It is. It's like, it's like a, a, a mellower. So now, uh, if you were to uh, go ahead and uh, uh, drink this, um, 
Would you say on a scale of one to ten, how good would a Heineken be with it? <laughs> well, you know, Before or after? <laughs> They're both from the same place. They, they, yeah. they must go together. Exactly. Yeah. From again, right. Heineken is from the Netherlands. They're one of our sponsors. Uh, a big thank you to them. Heineken, snap, crackle, pop. Um, now, uh, what live show should you go see while drinking this drink? Dead or alive? The X. The X. The Cloud Nothings on Saturday? Or Jeff? <laughs> That's tonight. Oh, is that tonight? Yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. <laughs> Stiff little fingers, just because. Wow. See, go ahead. Uh, now, we ha- now we have some of the, uh, the, uh, the uh, liquors uh, and spirits and uh, tequilas and mezcals that you guys have brought along with you yourselves. Um, uh, who wants to start with, uh, which one should we start with? Well, I also well, I mean, I wouldn't mind starting, but I'd also think uh, you know some of the audience should uh, partake as well. Oh, of if course, that's a, if that's a possibility. Uh, have you have, have we uh, Ryan uh, uh, with the mezcals you brought? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you have a cup, uh, Ryan will go ahead and take care of you. Um, Come get some of this. It's delightful. Ryan is a uh, one of our uh, many volunteers for Culture Collide Music Festival here in San Francisco. Culture Collide, we're here for you. Um, again, uh, big thank you to our sponsors, Heineken. What's up? Uh, now, if you'd like to see all of the, uh, the uh, liqueurs and spirits, um, you can go ahead and go to bff.fm, download the episode, try to find out the part where we're mentioning this, and then Google them on the internet. Uh, now, maybe let's hear a little bit more about, while we're pouring these out, maybe we can hear a little more about you guys uh, on maybe the, uh, the favorite thing you've come across so far today, something that you're going to take away, some information, anything. Just go ahead and chime in. I like the mixed branding slogans that we've been getting from you today, and I, I have my own to contribute. Culture Collide is on your side. <laughs> oh, I had that one lined up, too. So good. Well, I, I custom have, made. I do have a question. Is... Uh, you know, it, not not trying to slam on on the organizers. I think it's a great idea, great event. But I'm just curious, uh, how many people speak a foreign language? Just out of curiosity. Right, how many people speak Spanish? So I can. Me español es muy poquito. Español. Eso es suficiente, cabrón. Oh, shots fired. Yeah, you know, just uh, just you know, I think it's. It's a great event. It's a great idea, and uh, but you know we we have to sort of kind of bring in a little more of the uh, of the uh, the people that the INS is chasing after. So essentially, we need to make sure there's a little more diversity uh, uh, in our in our our panels and our uh, festivals. And the I agree. That's kind of why we brought in Soju to the uh, taste test. <laughs> no, I, Artists I, from I 15 different companies yeah. will be represented in this year's San Francisco Culture Collide. No, don't take it, no, Jeff. Don't take it personally. It's not. Uh, I, I was just uh, Heineken, balanced and fair. Um, now, uh, right now, uh, we are working on uh, one of the uh, uh, mezcals that you brought. Correct? Yeah, exactly. Actually, do you so, want to give us a little uh, sure, uh, rundown? Sure, just real quick. Um, so this is a tobala. Um, you know, so mezcal is the is the older is the older uncle of tequila. It's been around since the 1500s. Um, it's you know it's the 
the original spirit that was created when the Spaniards brought the stills to Mexico. The way the way we make tequila is the way I'm sorry, mezcal is the way mezcal was made in the 1500s. We don't use any modern technology. Um, and the, what you're going to taste right now, it's it's somewhat of a treat because it's a wild agave. We can't farm this stuff. We have to send people up into the high mountains to go find these agaves. We we give them a truck, a, a backpack, and a sleeping bag. They disappear for a week, and they come back with a truckload of these agaves, and and then they bring them back to our distillery, and we distill it. It's it's a it's a rare treat. The bottles are a hundred dollars. Um, you know, and again, it's a it's a pure natural. Jason and I have finished off a bottle of this by ourselves, and we woke up the next morning. He went to play hockey, and I went to play soccer. No hangover, you know, because it's a, it's a, it's it's super pure. I need some of that. The, there, there's, the, 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 audience, the audience is a bit right. skeptical about that one. Well, you know, the thing is, the thing oh, is that we didn't, we, we didn't make, story. we didn't make cocktails because once, you, <coughs> once you bring in that foreign liqueur shit, oh my god! <laughs> but we did smoke seven or eight spliffs. You know, okay. no problem. <laughs> it goes well. Yeah. There's yeah. one thing for all you guys out there: if you've never got into mezcal before, get into it. It's good. It's a spiritual experience. Now, uh, I read on the internet that mezcal can actually be used to treat um, uh, certain uh, medical ailments mm-hmm. as a you know, homeopathic remedy um is there anything in particular that you i mean not uh, as a as a doctor would recommend but maybe as a layman that you could say uh, it would be good for uh, for treating i heard it's good for hangovers well if you drink about this much you don't feel shit anywhere, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> best news i've heard all day <laughs> yeah there's not there's not well there's not that much demand um and and you know it's a it's a it's a difficult situation the a lot of these wild agaves are, are in, in danger of extinction, so uh, you have to be careful. Um, and we produce about four or 500 bottles a year. There's not that much demand for it. You know, the audience, the, the, the consumer is still not um, smart enough to, to, or, you know, they're not aware that, that, that how great this stuff is. Yeah. Right let's, now, let's actually, right. can, we, can we actually get a little bit deeper into uh, mezcal? Now, why, are, why is um, this agave, uh, this wild agave, why uh, aren't there, isn't it being farmed? Uh, is there... Well, I mean, so, that, well, if you, have, if you have four or five minutes, I'll explain. The, the, the agave is like a, is a bizarre plant from a botanical standpoint. So there's, there's two types of agave. So in Mexico, well, in the world, there's about 200 varieties of agave. In Mexico, there's about 160 and out of those, about 40 are used to make mezcales. And then, you know, just to give you, to, so you understand, tequila is made from the blue agave, just that one variety. And then mezcales are made from the other 39. So out of those 39, you, you, they fall into two camps. The, the ones that, are, that can reproduce um, sexually and ones that can reproduce sexually and asexually. So the espadín, which, um, which, uh, which Jason brought, can reproduce sexually and asexually. And so the advantage of that is that you can create these large farms because what happens is that off of the root, uh, uh, you know, when, when, it, when, it, when, you're, when you're growing it, little uh, shoots grow off of the roots and then you, you transplant those and you can keep on growing. The wild ones only reproduce sexually, so they only, um, when, at the end of its life, it produces a stalk and flowers and then the flowers have the seeds. The seeds are, are um, you know, need to be... Um, you know, so you know, like bats and and bees, um, and they need to be pollinated. But the beauty about the about the the sexual reproduction is the act. Nah, the, the beauty about the sexual reproduction is the fact that 
you have the, the two different DNAs, no? the, the, the male and the female, and these two different DNAs that bring the biodiversity, whereas in the, in the asexual reproduction, the, the, the pup has the 100% the DNA of the parent, and so the taste kind of stays the same. Now, when you talk about tequila, what's happened is that the, 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 the strains of blue agave have become less and less, and so the, the taste of tequila that consequently becomes very mono monoculture. You know, there's like a very, very mm-hmm. flat. The beauty about mezcal is that you have this biodiversity between all these different uh, uh, agaves grown in different places of, of Mexico, but also the, 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 the way the mezcalero handles them. And with, uh, so, so the, 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 the variety is huge. A L- lot, of, lot of variety in it then. Now, so then you, uh, I mean, uh, kind of uh, to wrap that up there, it's uh, we realize with uh, Mezcal, life finds a way. Um, now, uh, we have, a, uh, we have a, uh, another, uh, is this a tequila or a Mezcal that we're trying now? No, another Mezcal. Another Mezcal, excellent. And a, then, different, uh, a different variety of agave. Uh, so. Now, can, uh, what, what's the name of this Mezcal? It's uh, called El Holgorio, which is another great brand, um, alongside Oaxaca. It's going to be a different type of plant, so Espadín. Um, uh, Talking about cultivation, Espadín is the one varietal that is really cultivated. This one here happens to be a wild uh, harvested, so just a ton of good flavor in this. You get a nice little sweetness to it. You get that underlying smoke that kind of defines a lot of mezcal in comparison to tequila. What um, do you guys? What do you guys? What do you guys think? Uh, get, give it a uh, try. The rest of the panel there, and get, let's get your feedback. Way more smoky. The other one was a little sweeter. This one, I'm getting a lot of smoke notes. If, uh, if, if uh, this kind of mezcal had a slogan, what would it be? A tagline, if you will. Taste, the, brain, taste the rainbow. <laughs> nice one. I like that. Excellent, awesome. excellent. Again, a uh, big thank you it. to our sponsors, Heineken. <laughs> Think outside the bun. Strong enough for a man. <laughs> but built for a woman. Actually, I had a, I had a question about the mezcal. I, as people are going out and harvesting it you know, in its wild form, and it's getting more popular... Is, is there any risk of us running out of mezcal? Yeah, of course, there's there's a lot of varieties that have that are already extinct. Yeah, yeah. really. That's like, that's a great question because where we're at right now, where the mezcals are coming into the U.S., we're in a really good spot because we can get awesome mezcales right now. And it's not going to last too long. As it gets more popular, these these the, literally these guys are making mezcal in their backyard in a bamboo hut in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's just such a small labor-intensive operation. But once it gets more, you know, once it gets bigger and bigger, people have more interest in it. You're having a lot of multinational corporations come in. They want to make their money off that, and they're starting to open up these big things that are going to have nothing to do right. with what mezcal actually is right now, or what it's been for the last 300 years. So, yep. so, so yep. to give a little bit of history here, no, so you know, so tequila, as I mentioned, is a form of mezcal made from the blue agave. But in in the in you know, so from the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. Tequila, the, the town of Tequila in Jalisco made mezcal, and they made it from, from any variety of agave they, that they could get a hold of. And then at some point, um, in, I think in the, like, like the 1880s, um, there was a, a, what happened was that uh, a railroad was built from Guadalajara to Tepic, which is kind of on closer to the, to the ocean, and that went straight through the town of Tequila. And so Tequila suddenly had this this method of, of shipping shitloads of, um, of, of, of mezcal to, throughout Mexico, and so it became incredibly popular. So early on, tequila, you know, the, the mezcal made in tequila was made from all varieties of, uh, of agave, and then what happened is as, the, as, the, as, um, as their industry grew and they couldn't keep up with the demand, they started trying to figure out how to, how to, how to grow, 
So they hired a German botanist. Fucking Germans. No, they hired a German botanist called Dr. Weber, or Weber, um, and they brought Dr. Weber um, to, to, um, to Tequila, and, uh, and they, they said, okay, you know, investigate all this shit and tell us which is the, since we have to really grow a ton of this stuff, tell us which is the variety that we should use in order to be able to grow tons and tons and tons and tons of agave and so he chose the what's now known as the blue agave and so back in the, the this is I think at the end of the 19th century um, and in those days there was 12 strains of blue agave and you know and throughout uh, years and years you know the, a lot of them have been killed by plagues and this and that um, but uh, it's kind of moved down to just two or one or two or three left no? so it's a complicated world this big industrialization and globalization that uh Get, get your mezcal right now while you can before it yeah. gets fucked up because it's, it's probably going to happen. Uh, yeah, uh, apparently there's going to be a lot of restrictions probably put on it also because of, uh, of uh, how it's being farmed. But I'm getting the sign here. We're going to have to move on to questions here. We'll be able to take about 3 to 17 uh, questions uh, as time permits, depending on what the question is. Um, uh, let's go to the audience. Uh, do we have any questions here for our panelists? Yes, you, sir, with the uh, wristband on your hand. <laughs> Well, is we there a variance between batches in your tequila or mezcal because you're gathering wild plants? Yeah, there, well, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of variance, but it's uh, I'm not sure it's because of the well, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things behind there. No, I mean, you're talking about Mexico, no? So it's not like uh, and uh, you know, uh, I mean, are you, if you ever get down to San Dionisio, Cotepec, and Oaxaca, you're free to visit our distillery. It's not the most, uh, you know, Q, QA is not the most rigorous thing there. So, like, the, from batch to batch, you know, like, the, you know, it's not like uh, we're, like, there, like, with measurements and all that shit. They're like, yeah, throw in a bunch of agave. And then it's like, well, how long does it need to cook? Like, yeah, you know, let's go drink. We'll be back. We'll be back in a few days and see if it's good. You know, so, so you know, so, again, it's like, you know, the, we, we, cook, we cook them for about five days on the ground in an earthen pit. And then we... We mill them and then we ferment them in open air vats and then we double distill in these copper stills. And again, it's like technologies from the you know 1300s, but it, there's no science behind. There's no real like measurements. And so, so, um, but so the, the 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 good news is that the the the, the difference between these two varieties, this one's the tobala. I mean, if somebody's willing to pour the madre cuisha, it's a beautiful expression if anybody wants to taste some more mezcal so the difference what that you're tasting between these is pretty much predominantly what you're tasting is the is the pure taste the difference between the variety of agave but between batch and batch i mean what changes is the is the 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 different you know the 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 mezcalero is not incredibly strict in his or her methods of uh of of distilling no because it's it's mexico no we just kind of Excellent, excellent question about there. We also have another one uh, from the uh, the DJ. Were you raising your hand for a drink, or did you have a question, both. or both? Sure, definitely. So a few things. So, so the first thing to, to, that I should mention is that as, uh, as far as Oaxaca mezcal, 
We do have uh, I brought there's there's uh, we make five varieties. Um, out of the five varieties, two are made from a state farm agave, and that's about ninety percent of our production and our sales. And so the wilds are only about ten percent. Um, so that's the first thing. So the, the volumes are not huge. The second thing is that um, as a company, we've started a we have a nonprofit organization, which is a sister farm, a sister <coughs> company of Oaxaca, and, and uh, um, it's agavesilvestres.org, which means wildagave.org. You can go to the website. And what, uh, so what we've done as a company, if we bought a huge plot of land in the town where we produce, San Dionisio Cotepec in Oaxaca, and so what we do is that we, we grow with the wild agaves in this farm, and then uh, we grow them, you know, depending, like sometimes a year, two years, or three years, and then we take those, uh, those pups, and then we go reforest them back in the, in the forest. So we, t- we give back uh, what we take. Pretty much. So, well, I must say that uh, we're not 100%, it's not one-to-one yet. Um, it's about two-to-one or about 1.5-to-one, but it's getting there to be one-to-one. That every, every tobala, every madre cuiche, which are the two wild agave versions, uh, varieties that we use, we're about 1.5-to-1% about of reforesting. Um, so, again, it's uh, agavesilvestres.org. If you go to the Oaxaca uh, Mezcal website, there's a link there, and you can see the nonprofit that, that, that does all that stuff. Excellent. Hey, thank you for uh, everyone for all your questions. I'm going to go ahead and give uh, all of our panelists a little 10 seconds to uh, give a shout-out to their favorite booze, their website, who they're supporting, what they're doing with. Um, again, before we do so, a big thank you to our sponsor, Heineken, the ultimate driving machine. Uh, we'll go ahead, uh, and we'll start with Wilson. Go ahead. Yo, thanks to Alcohol. Thanks to Maker's Mark. Thanks to Marisa over there. Um, God bless. You hear to hear first. I talked enough, but I, I do want to say one last thing, which is that one of the beauties about agave-based um, uh, spirits is that uh, the drunkenness is a is a very friendly. It's it's one of those scientific studies that should. Unlike be made. my father, you know. Like, yeah, well, it's the same. You know, when I when I when I yeah, I, I get drunk on on uh, on. Uh, I, I mean, I love scotch and I love gin and all that shit, but I'm I get all taxi driver and all like you looking at me, you know, you look, you know, that's sort of like. I get all aggro and shit, and, um, and it never happens to me with the agave, unless it's with J- Jason right here. <laughs> He's got a good Excellent. point there. I, I recommend the agave spirits as far as uh, you know, love goes. Um, yeah, anyway, come to Trace, TraceSF.com if you want to look online, but we're by the ballpark, and we have all the best um, agave spirits you can have, and probably one of the biggest mezcal selections out there. I try to keep it huge because I love the stuff. It's... Uh, it's good, good stuff. It's good for you, yeah. And uh, you should indulge in it while you can. Like I said, it's not going to be around at its current quality for too long, probably. Um, this will be really expensive. But anyway, come to the trace. Thank you. So the, uh, the, the best kind of, uh, of uh, drink to have right before you go to the, uh, the ballpark, watch the Giants win, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You hear to her, agave, her the official drink of the Giants. <laughs> what is the score? <laughs> what is the score? I know. I'm going to be there to not... Four, I'm going to be back there in about 20 minutes or so, so come see me. Bottom of the ninth, 4-4. Four, four. Are you listening to us right now? Are you watching the game? Are you doing both? You should be doing both. <laughs> On to our next panelist. I uh, just want to thank the panelists. Uh, thank God we have a couple of professionals on the panel, because otherwise we'd be screwed. Uh, so appreciate that. Thanks, Jeff, for setting this up. Thanks for You're bringing welcome. Culture Collide to San Francisco. We need more awesome festivals like this up here uh, that embrace more than just music, because uh, culture is a lot more than just that. Uh, it also involves and it, drinking. And it does. Thank you for inviting me. 
I'm a huge Trace fan. I love going there all the time. And, uh, and I'd like to thank Vivica Fox. And that's it. Excellent. Well, again, a uh, big round of applause to our panelists here, ladies and gentlemen. Again, Culture Collide, we're, uh, it's going to be going strong. If you're coming out tonight, go ahead and go to culturecollide.com if you want to check out the lineup. We have three different venues all going on live tonight after you watch the game. Currently, it's the bottom of the ninth, and we are tied at 4-4. Again, a uh, big thank you to our sponsors, Heineken. Just do it. Uh, thank you again for all of your time, everyone. We do appreciate you coming out and listening to us on BFF.FM, your place for independent music artists uh, and something different on the uh, radio. Thank, thanks again, guys. Uh, this is Jeff from Culture Collide. Uh, so this is going to kind of wrap things up. So we'll probably listen to a couple more jams. I want to thank everyone, especially on the panels that came out and BFF.FM. That's a real tongue twister. Uh, so the bar is open to the left, so you guys should go over there, have a specialty cocktail from West of Pecos because they make the, j- the jams. Um, and then at, uh, starting at 5 o'clock over at House of Hipstomatic, we have the, uh, the Israeli consulate is putting on a happy hour. Uh, so they'll be serving some, some delicious cocktails um, on the house and uh, listening to some, some bands that are from Israel um, and drinking some... Some heinies. Uh And then, you know, all night, Elbow Room, Amnesia, and the Chapel. Like I said, we got bands from 15 different countries represented, so it's going to be a great time. Thanks, Devin. Thanks, everyone. You can feed me, you can breed me, you can need me, you can read me, or Dutch treat me, even better, make a movie, mail a letter, you're so groovy, misbehaving, sock it to me, double dating, overstaying, always waiting, you can break me, you can rape me, you can trade me, you can save me, overrate me, celebrating, a new Satan, all the trimmings, extra sinning, total fitness, keep on walking, need a witness, keep on talking, skin is feeling, getting rocked. Got a feeling you really started something Don't touch my bikini Better smile when you see me You can stare, that's a freebie Don't touch my bikini Steady.